0: Hi, I'm Zach, and welcome to the IB Voices Podcast, where students, teachers, and education experts share their passion for the IB and bring our programs to life. By the way, have you subscribed yet? Or left a review? Both can be done quite quickly and feel very fulfilling. Anyway, on today's episode, we are listening in on an interview with two incredible teachers from Stratford Hall School in Vancouver, Canada, Andrea Ryan and Meg Penafiel to talk about their school's IDEA Lab, which stands for Innovation, Design, Engineering, Arts. I-D-E-A, IDEA, clever idea. Plus, they discuss how it seamlessly fits into their school's IB framework. Let's check it out.
1: Today, I'm joined by two teachers from Stratford Hall School in Vancouver, Canada, Andrea Ryan and Meg Pinafiel. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
1: Great to have you both here today. I wonder if you could start with a little background on Stratford Hall and your roles there.
2: Well, Stratford Hall is a school that started in the year 2000 by two families and started really small with just 40 students, K-12. to And currently we have 530 students. It's an IB continuum program and it's an urban school. So we're right in the heart of... Vancouver East Side, which is really neat. I co-teach some PYP classes with Meg, teach in the MYP, and then facilitate and support teachers coming into the space across the continuum. Hi, and I'm
3: Meg Penafiel, and I've been working at Stratford Hall since it opened in 2000, but in a different capacity. Back then, I was a Spanish teacher and a PE teacher, and now I'm in a teacher-librarian role, as well as teaching design classes in the PYP with Andrea.
1: Fantastic. So we've got the MYP and PYP covered here. Does Stratford Hall also have the diploma program going on?
2: Yes, we do. We also offer the DP program.
1: Well, today we're going to explore something that really gets to the heart of the learning and teaching experience of the IB. Let's talk about Idea Lab, And I suppose the best way to begin would be with a general introduction for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the concept. What are Idea Labs, and are they the same as Makerspaces?
2: Well I think the first thing to think about is the traditional definition for maker spaces are often about a collaborative space generally with an emphasis on technology tools often about students or grown-ups exploring their own interests making things and it's often created to steam or stem and I think we have a lot of elements in that but I think our idea lab our emphasis is that plus also The consideration of developing kind of the maker mentality and the character traits and connecting to kind of our approaches to learning and the problem-solving capacity. So the creative capacity of our students, preparing them to be able to tackle any problem that they might face. Yeah, and I might add to that that one of
3: the pillars, I think, of this space is a community of learners. It really inspires students to see younger and old students tackling projects together or individually.
2: And I think also we really believe that creativity is a skill that can be developed and learned. So it's really important for us to support that idea and that sometimes things are messy and sometimes we need to fail fast and fail often and that we give them a space for kids to try things themselves with that sense of agency and ownership and learning that they can actually make a difference and do things. One of our key tenants is moving from empathy to action. And we do use kind of the lens of design thinking, where we're always trying to bring it back to humans and who we are in our world and how can we make a difference. And if we know that everything in our world is designed, both physical objects and systems, and we know we can have an impact on that design, then students then know that they can change the systems, change the products, change the world, essentially.
1: That's great. Since we have each of you on here with your own program specific focus, I think it's a nice opportunity to look at how Idea Labs might fit into the IB framework. And maybe Meg, I can start with you and how it attaches to the PYP emphasis And then, Andrea, you can come in and say if there are any differences when you're looking at it from an MYP perspective.
3: Sure. In the PYP, at the moment, we sort of see design time, the class, when we bring them into the idea lab, as an extension of the learning that's already taking place in their classrooms through their units of inquiry. And so we will be looking at the concepts that they're exploring and maybe not looking so much at the content, but about the skills that they'll need to have those conversations in class. So there's ATL skills that are being developed every day, creative thinking, challenges, developing their communication skills, collaboration skills, their self-management skills. And we do that sort of through project-based learning.
2: And I think on the MYP, we naturally build on those skills. So again, we're always looking back to those approaches to learning how can we intentionally teach those skills we talk about, okay, now you have to collaborate, but how do we support students in learning how to effectively collaborate? So we teach decision-making hacks and explicitly teach ways in which a group can come to a decision. The space itself is a space where we invite students to fail, where we invite students to persevere and tackle problems. And it's also a space where we really foster creativity. So we're using improvisation techniques, key creativity, emphasis on developing fluency and flexibility, and it's also a space. So in the grade eights, they have a passion project, and so they are going through the NYP design cycle. They're really trying to think about a problem that matters to them. Maybe it's a problem that they themselves have or somebody else in their lives or a community, and they're trying to tackle and try and figure out a way to solve that problem. And then in December, they have no classes for one week, and it's a very big, intensive kind of design sprint where they're in the idea lab, kind of take over the whole space, and every student is working independently on their own passion project. So they've dug deep on their research, they've prototyped, they've tested, and then for that week, they're building and creating their solution to the problem they've identified. And then on the last day, there's a showcase where the whole school and the community is invited to see the various projects. And those projects have run the gamut from coding games to sewing a dress for the older students. They then are sometimes coming in with their classes to have learning experiences in that space or then becomes a space that they just know that they can use for their personal projects or for their IAs and the DP. And so they run workshops.
1: Well, this is great. I'm actually excited that we're moving from the theoretical into the practical. I'd like to talk more about those programs and how you implement specific types of projects. For instance, when you were talking about running the gamut from coding games to designing backpacks for pets, is that something that everybody is doing on their own at once? Or do you separate things into different project categories and types and you'll move from one to the other? How do you implement the program?
3: Sure. So, some of the streams we have in the PYP design classes, we have novel engineering where the students will read picture books and they'll use the characters within the stories as their design clients. So, they're going to be designing for the characters. They talk about what needs those characters would have, what problems they face, and then their designs will come from those stories. Um, We have a digital storytelling stream where they're learning to tell a story either through iMovie or any type of digital tool. We have a culinary stream, where that stream tends to be more about where they're learning about collaboration skills, because it takes a lot of collaboration to work together as chefs in the kitchen. We also have a secret service agent stream, which is one of my favorites, where the students go around their classroom or the school looking for problems that they would like to improve. We try not to say solve, because we want them to know that it may be hard to solve the problem, but at least they feel that they could improve the situation
1: Are you giving them the choice of which streams they want to pursue, or do you say, everybody, let's work on this stream today, and then we'll move to a different stream tomorrow?
3: That's a really good question. It's usually a conversation with the classroom teachers as a part of our collaboration. So we pick the stream not in terms of, like, sequence of when we would like to do them, but when they best suit the needs of the students. So, for example, um, when grade two is doing their community unit, Secret Service Agents uh, stream really lends itself well to that. So this year, the students were trying to make sense of the concept of what is community and can community be built? And so that was their design prompt for themselves as secret service agents. Could they come up with activities that would develop a sense of community within
2: our school? And then at the grade four classroom level, they just finished up a social entrepreneurship unit. And so the two classes were doing this this unit, but every student could pick the product that they wanted to make, the clients that they were making the product, and so there was all the research behind that. And then when it came to the making, we are very fortunate to have support in that space, so that we were able to so teach students who are really interested in, in digging deep on sewing because they were sewing their solution. There was usually a mentor with those students. Those students who were learning Adobe Illustrator and wanted to cut things on the laser cutter there's somebody that could help those students. So in terms of the skill development, we follow the mantra of we'll teach one student and that student can then teach other students and believe that it's fine if students know more than we do and we're there to kind of support them, troubleshoot, guide. In the grade eight class that I was speaking about, the prompt really was find a problem and solve it. And they all could pick whichever way they wanted to solve that problem. So some students were really motivated by the fact that they wanted to learn a skill, a specific skill. And so they kind of designed their passion project around learning more about the laser cutter. They knew they wanted to play around with building something. Other students were really motivated by They cared very much about animals and animals in zoo situations, so they then coded kind of a mock-up of an aquarium with appropriate sizing and did the research of what that would be, and that was actually in Minecraft. And So they built a model of an aquarium that actually fits the needs of the animals. So for that one, everybody's doing something different, and there's a lot of autonomy. Six and seven, we try and make sure that we are developing units so that they have a background in all those various modalities so that when they get to the passion project and the personal project, they feel like they could tackle like, oh, you know what? I could do something that has to do with coding or, oh, you know what? I could physically make something because we've done kind of streams that lend itself to building those skills. I think that
3: students have really broadened their definition of research in the ID lab. So when they're playing with food and they're cooking, that's one form of research. When they're interviewing their partner, they're learning that that is research. So their definition of what research is has magnified coming out of their classroom into the ideal lab.
1: And when you're talking about using some of the digital tools, whether it's coding something or creating an iMovie, Is the learning to use the product, the tools that they're using, part of the idea lab, or are they expected to pick that up from classwork or in another area?
2: Often that's happening in the idea lab. And what we try and do is get it so that students have a chance to develop those skills and familiarity with things so that then when they're back in the classroom, it just opens up multiple ways in which they can express their understanding. So, you know, how traditionally, I think when we were growing up, it would be like, make a poster, make a pamphlet, write an essay. Now, I think students kind of realize, oh, I could make a, you know, hummingbird robotic sculpture that is a diorama of my English assignment. Or I could do an interactive blackout poetry using the Makey Makey tool to express myself. So, It's both. And I think it's partly just to give them a broad range of choice in terms of what they connect to and how they want to be able to express what they've learned.
3: One thing we've wanted to move forward with is having students come in when they come in for their lunch hour workshops or their their lunch hour sessions that they've designed, that the students play with those tools themselves in smaller groups. And so that when they come back to our design time classes or to the classroom, they're the experts in the
2: room and they're the ones that can lead the learning. We recently did an improv warm-up where it was the failure bow and it was little grade ones and kind of tell this outrageous story of something we've done that didn't work. And then we take a big bow and everybody claps for our failure bow just to kind of get that sense of like, hey, it's cool. That's fine. It's happy accidents. And what can we do and how can we combine things that didn't work and come up with something that did?
1: Well, you've mentioned a few times not be afraid to fail or it's okay to fail. What are examples of something going wrong or or students struggling to complete an assignment or to get to the objective they were striving for?
3: I would say we, we actually just wrapped up an entrepreneur market, our social entrepreneur market with our grade fours, where over the last four months, they've been working on creating something, making something themselves that they would then sell at the market and the funds from the market would then go to a nonprofit organization of their choice they would decide as a class so there was a lot of they were saying failing themselves of designing something that no one wanted to buy because they would do some market research and students would just tell them honestly i wouldn't buy that or pricing it too high not learning how to use illustrator and a laser cutter to make boxes and of things and them not working and not seeing the product that they had envisioned in their mind So the students reflected on it just yesterday, and a lot of the conversation was, I failed. I failed. It didn't work. But I was okay with it because now I know how to do it
2: better. There's definitely many examples of students whose projects don't go according to plan. And certainly one of the students I remember last year had a neat project where he wanted to create a glove that would control his computer remotely. Um, A lot of research, prototyping, and it never really came off the ground the way he wanted to. But he's now one of the students who's in that space all the time, running workshops for younger students, infusing the things he's learned into his science, into his math classes. And I think the thing that's really neat about the NYP design cycle and about design thinking is that baked into that cycle is about prototyping, is about testing, is about considering what could you improve? How did you test it? What didn't work? What changes or modifications could you do? And so there's kind of a scaffolded approach. It's not just like, hey, go ahead and fail. But there's a scaffolded approach of what do you do with that failure? And the more we practice failing, the more we practice having our towers tumble and then kind of modify our approach. We develop more resilience and more grit and more kind of that capacity to be like, okay, I might not know the answer to global warming, but I can tackle it or I could try or I can think about it. I've got that kind of mentality. So that's been really important to us to kind of really foster that sense of empowerment. And that comes from failing fast and failing often and keep going.
1: Great. Well, I think we have a good understanding of what the Idea Lab program, if you want to use that term, is. What kind of benefits are you seeing? And I'd like to approach that both from the standpoint of educators and the students.
3: In terms of educators, we were talking with a few teachers before actually coming to do this interview with you, and one thing we're noticing is that students are taking more risk with their learning and seeing more opportunities in how they can express their learning. So moving from trifold, they're realizing there's other ways that I can share what I want to share with my class other than traditional ways they've been taught. Versatility, I think, has been huge in terms of what makes the Idealab sort of unique is the versatility of space. Students have, I think, seeing themselves as designers has transferred to other disciplinary areas. So they're using their design thinking skills, brainstorming rules, we've taught them the tag feedback. So we're seeing that teachers are talking about the transfer that's occurring, and that's really exciting to see.
2: I think also we're in a kind of a study group where we're trying to look at the future of education and really try to understand what is coming down the pipeline and how do we prepare students. And the things that we keep coming back to as being super important are the social-emotional learning, the need for students to be creative, to empathize those critical thinking skills, their complex problem-solving, and kind of their ability to negotiate. And I think all of those happen quite naturally in the Idea Lab. So I think there's a lot of payoff in having a space where it's really about community. It is one of our few continuum spaces in this school. The workshops that we run are often buddy workshops or where kids are working across grades. And it's a space where they are developing that empathy muscle and kind of learning critical thinking skills and creativity. And I think regardless of what happens in the future, I mean, we can spend a lot of time trying to think about what's going to happen, what is the world going to be like? And I think the thing that's neat is that even if we get it wrong, even if our predictions are wrong, if we prepare our students to have that social-emotional kind of resilience, I think it's fine if we don't figure out what the next disruption is or the next coding language or if cars are going to be flying or those kind of things, they'll still be prepared.
1: Let's take a look at how we can help our listeners. If we have somebody who is at one of our IB World schools who's thinking about getting started with Idea Labs, how would you advise them to go about the early stages of putting this into play?
2: Well, I think one of the first things to think about is that you don't need to focus on big, expensive tools. I mean, like Meg was saying, we started in a single classroom, and it was really about The mentality and the approach and the willingness to try and to model that for our students. So that would be the big one for me is that tools or resources don't need to be an impedance to kind of having this kind of approach to learning. And I think a lot of teachers do this naturally and it's becoming more and more comfortable about not necessarily being the expert and being on side with our students as they explore. I mean, certainly an idea lab like ours, is a space that invites students to be able to do certain things.
3: We've been actually talking about how the Idea Lab is about the space, but it's not. And so it sounds like a contradiction. The space allows us to do so many things. It inspires the students. They see the tools that are out. So I think the goal would be, if someone wanted to try to infuse this into their school, to take aspects of it and bring it to their classroom. So maybe have a type of design thinking cart or a maker mobile or whatever language works for their school setting and have the simplest tools, which is what we use the most. We used cardstock to and when we teach them paper engineering, we have just the scamper metaphor for what to do if you're stuck, to substitute, um, combine, adapt, and all those things that go with it. Having the design cycle out in your classroom so that it's a scaffold
2: And I think it's that willingness to be okay with messy, to be okay with kids getting frustrated, and to be okay with kids potentially crying if things aren't going well, and to really embody that belief that creativity can be learned and everyone is creative. I think as teachers, if we really believe those things and we model that, then I think students then also believe it and can embody it as well.
1: How about from an administrative standpoint? Is this something that a teacher can do on her own or his own within their own classroom situation? Or do you recommend having some coordinator, somebody to really look after the idea lab aspect of what the school is offering?
2: Well, I think if you have an idea lab Which is what we call it, and multiple students and classes are using that space. It definitely helps to have a coordinator just to have an eye on the larger picture of of how it's being used and how um, to bring people in if there's elements that kind of we could support or push in more depth. But definitely, it's not something that that you would need if you, you could have your own classroom be a maker space or an idea lab. Like it's both an approach and a space. And if you don't have the space, then Embody the approach and and do it kind of independently in your classroom. I think that also to include, I would encourage any teacher that's doing it. They can definitely start on their own and
3: to make sure that they're talking about the why and the what and to share their experience with other educators and with administration. Because sometimes the things we do, the beauty that's underneath it is kind of invisible to someone who's just passing by or doing a walk through the school. So, for example, one of I think our most successful streams, and by successful, I think. One that has supported the students' thinking and their learning has been the paper prototyping stream, where they learn simple engineering techniques that they use with paper to take a 2D design and go to 3D. And that really helps them with their spatial visual reasoning to see whether their idea might work. So if you were walking by that day in the idea lab, it might just look like a bunch of kids folding paper. So the need to communicate to administration, to the parents, to the school, the why behind things I think is really important.
1: And are there any resources that you're familiar with where teachers or schools who are interested in this can go to look for examples or some kind of basis for putting together their own programs?
2: Certainly. There's um, a great book called Maker-Centered Learning, and it's empowering young people to shape their worlds. And it's a great book that kind of documents what a maker-centered classroom might look like, what are ways in which you can infuse that maker-centered approach to your teaching. Also, design thinking as a methodology, I think, is is really great. So if teachers want to learn more about design thinking, which is used outside of classrooms as well in industry, d.school in California, that's another one. And then the tools that are often used out in design. So Scamper is a tool that's used by real people out, outside of school situations. Brainstorming rules, improv, all of those are, are kind of great resources. So improv, encyclopedias, lots of great warm-up games. I would add one book that was a great first read was called Launch, Using Design
3: Thinking to Boost Creativity and Bring Out the Maker in Every Student. That's written by John Spencer and A.J. Giuliani. That just breaks down the design cycle of what each step is and examples of what you could do for parts of the design cycle. So it's a great intro book for anyone who doesn't know where to start.
1: Great. I think I'm going to start wrapping things up. Is there anything that you wish I had asked you, but I didn't?
2: I can't think of anything. I think the main thing is that it's it's a lot of fun. Like that's one of the big ones is just remember that it's fun. It's really fun seeing the students kind of tackle these things. So when things get really hard, it's good to remember that it's worth it.
3: Yeah, it's amazing to see kids get excited or just find out. They don't even know what they're going to be doing in design time sometimes, but just coming to the Idea Lab, they're excited because they get to make something with their own hands
2: and it's theirs. And maybe one more resource is just visible thinking routines, if teachers want to look into those, there's some really neat routines that can be used to help thinking dispositions and, and approaches.
0: Thank you to Andrea and Meg for your time, your insights, and everything you do to support your students and school community. Please remember to subscribe to Ivy Voices on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else fine podcasts are streamed. Or check out our other episodes on ibo.org slash podcasts. Okay, listeners, thanks for listening, and be safe, be well, and we'll be back soon with more stories from our students, schools, educators, and more.